0: you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Today on Something You Should Know, if it's important to be nice to people to be successful, then why are there so many successful jerks? The surprising answer to that is coming up. Plus, what motivates people? Turns out, a lot of things.
1: We drink when we're thirsty and we eat when we're hungry. That's a motivation. But human beings also have other motivations. The drive to do things because they're interesting. The drive to do things because they matter. The drive to do things because we get better at them.
0: Also, just how important is it to have friends? This intel will amaze you. And if you hate small talk or have trouble-making conversation...
2: I can tell you, Mike, how to talk intelligently on any single subject in two words. Are you ready? Are you holding on to your seat? Those two magic words, be curious. And when you're passionately curious with other people, Mike, they feel so good around you. They feel smart, they think you're brilliant, and you immediately enhance your connection.
0: All this today on Something You Should Know. A shout-out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You see, for as long as I can remember, I have had to deal with seasonal allergies Ask for Claritin-D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Something you should know. Fascinating intel. The world's top experts. And practical advice you can use in your life. Today, Something You Should Know with Mike Carruthers. You know, it continues to amaze me how the audience for this podcast just keeps growing. This past week was another record week in terms of the number of listeners. And within that week, we had two record days. And it has to be because of you and people like you who not only listen, but tell other people to listen, because the audience just keeps growing. And I am eternally grateful. Thank you. First up today... Does it pay to be nice, do nice guys finish first, or do nice guys finish last? There have been a lot of books and speakers over the last few years talking about the advantages of being nice, but there are also a lot of successful jerks. (laughs) I've worked for a couple, and uh, I know several. The truth is that success may lie somewhere in the middle of being nice and being a jerk. At the University of Amsterdam, researchers have found that semi-obnoxious behavior not only can make a person seem more powerful, it can actually make them more powerful. We believe that we want people who are modest and authentic and all the things that we rate positively, we want that in our leaders, but the research shows that these traits are not good predictors of things like high salaries and leadership positions. In a sense, being too nice can cost you. According to Adam Grant, author of the book Give and Take, the best thing to do is be what he calls a disagreeable giver. That is, somebody who uses their thorny behavior to further the well-being and success of others. For example, in one study, a person is seen stealing coffee from a pot on another person's desk. Now, if he is observed stealing the coffee just for himself then those people watching think he's a jerk. But if he pours the coffee for himself and the person he stole it from, he is perceived as a leader. But when he poured the coffee just for the other person, his leadership ratings collapsed. In many ways, Steve Jobs was a disagreeable giver. He made himself and a lot of other people rich, but he wasn't especially nice about it. And that is something you should know. What motivates you? I know that's a hard question to answer because it depends on a lot of factors, but think about it. For everything you do, and everything you've ever done, something has motivated you to do those things. And those motivations come either from within or from outside. It's important to know about motivation, not only to understand what motivates you, but also what works to motivate others. Because throughout your life, you have been and will be required to motivate people to do things. Daniel Pink knows a lot about this. Daniel's been a guest here before. And one of the books that he's written that we haven't talked about is called Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us. Hey Daniel, welcome back. So motivation seems like kind of the perfect Daniel Pink topic to tackle. How did you approach this?
1: I went into the, looked at the science of motivation, looked at some research on human motivation, which turned out to be a treasure trove. There's a treasure trove of research over the last 50 years in human motivation. And it said some things that really, really surprised me.
0: Uh, Things like what?
1: things like carrots and sticks, the classic motivator that we use in business, work, but in only a surprisingly narrow band of circumstances, and that for a lot of things, they either don't work or backfire colossally, Uh, and that there's actually a better approach to motivation uh, that is not rooted in carrots and sticks, but has to do with autonomy and mastery and and purpose, and that uh, in the 21st century, when more and more of us are doing creative, conceptual, somewhat interesting work, Uh, Companies that treat people like horses, as if they're motivated only by carrots or the threat of a stick, uh, are actually going to fall behind. And companies that actually treat people like people, offer autonomy, help them move toward mastery, infuse the workplace with a sense of purpose, those are the companies that actually are flourishing and will continue to flourish.
0: Well, what would that mean exactly? I mean, what would a company do if a company wanted to do what you just described?
1: I'll give you an example. I mean there are companies that are doing this. Here's a really interesting example from an Australian company called Atlassian. Um, it's a software company. Atlassian is a software company and they do something really cool. Uh, once a quarter they say to their software developers for the next 24 hours you can work on whatever you want. You can do it with whomever you want, you can do it the way that you want. You just have to show the results to the company, the rest of the company in this fun meeting at the end of those 24 hours. They call these things FedEx days, because you have to deliver something overnight. Well, it turns out that that one day of undiluted autonomy has produced a whole array of ideas for new products, upgrades to existing products, uh, fixes for some flaws in current products that would never have emerged except for that FedEx day. Now, this is not a carrot and stick motivator. This is not saying to them, if you are innovative, I will give you 500 bucks. It's saying, you probably want to be innovative, so let me just get out of your way and let you be innovative. Uh, That's a very different approach to motivation.
0: But I would think that some people are motivated by some things and others by other things. So when you try to motivate a group of people with one motivation, well, it might work on some, but it might not work on others because they don't find it particularly motivating.
1: I think that's true at one level but i also think that that human beings well, see, listen human beings are complex we're motivated we have biological motivations okay we drink when we're, we drink when we're thirsty and we eat when we're hungry that's a motivation human beings also have a you know reward and punishment motivation so you know if you say to me dan i'm going to go pay you a hundred bucks to go stand out on the street corner and tap your head i'm going out the door right now um we respond well to rewards and punishments but human beings also have other motivations the drive to do things because they're interesting. The drive to do things because they matter. The drive to do things because we get better at them. The drive to do things because they contribute to, to the world. And what the science shows is that you've got to pay people enough. Okay? You've got to pay people enough. If you don't pay people enough, you're not going to have any realistic motivation. But once you pay people enough, external rewards like that, contingent rewards, if-then rewards, Don't play that big of a role in high performance. What really plays a role in high performance, once you pay people enough, is giving them freedom, allowing them to get better at something that matters, and infusing the workplace with a sense of purpose, a sense that they're doing something larger than themselves. That is far more potent and far more enduring than this elaborate regime of carrots and sticks that we've been using for 150 years.
0: But does it not depend on the type of work you're doing?
1: Uh, yes, yes and no. And I'll give you an example. Let's take something like call centers. Call centers are very difficult jobs. They're, they're not particularly interesting. People are often monitored. The Call center employees are monitored. Their calls are timed. Uh, they, uh, they, when they get a call in, they essentially just have to read a script. It's low on the autonomy scale. It's not particularly interesting. Um, And it's not a job that most of us would covet. Well, you have a company like Zappos who comes in and deals with its call center in a fundamentally different way. They say to their call center employees, solve the customer's problem. Solve the customer's problem. Do it however you want for as long as you want. We're not going to monitor you. We're not going to time you. Solve the customer's problem. And lo and behold, Zappos comes out of nowhere to be one of the top-rated customer service firms in America. So here's a job that, you know, isn't... Uh, being a graphic designer or software writer, uh, where if you offer up some amount of autonomy, people perform at a higher level, and the company benefits.
0: What if you're working for a company, though, that, that is less enlightened than Zappos, and you're losing your motivation because you work in a company that's very top-down, very strict, like you just described? Can this work the other way? Can, can this change come from the bottom-up?
1: To some extent, and what you're describing is, is in, in some ways the landscape of American work right now. I mean, job satisfaction numbers are have been plummeting. It's a combination that people are uh, nervous and uninspired, uh, very dangerous combination. Uh, you have levels of workforce engagement dropping, it seems, yeah, more each year. There are some things that individuals can do to take it back a little bit. And one of my favorites is this idea of a do-it-yourself performance review. Now most people hate performance reviews, whether they're giving them or receiving them, and we have sort of lost sight of what the purpose is of a performance review. The purpose of a performance review is to help people get better, to help them move toward mastery. But the way, doing that twice a year in this kabuki theater style, style settings where everyone's playing a rehearsed role isn't particularly effective. So one thing people can do that I encourage people to do is a do-it-yourself performance review, where At the beginning of a month, you set out your goals, uh, and then at the end of the month, you call yourself into the office and ask yourself how you're faring. Um, Are you making progress? Are you falling behind? Do you need other information? Some people are doing these kind of peer-to-peer performance reviews where I set out my goals and what I want to accomplish in the month. Uh, You set out yours. Uh, Fred sets out his. Maria sets out hers. And then at the end of the month, we get together, have coffee for an hour talk about um, our performance, hold each other accountable. Um, I think that's a one way for individuals to take motivation back and not rely on, on companies to, to do it. One of the people I write about, is a scholar named Edward Deasy, says that we've got to get past this notion that motivation is something somebody does to you. It's something that you do for yourself.
0: I'm talking today with Daniel Pink, and we're talking about what's in his book, Drive. Just go to Indeed.com something right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on something you should know. Indeed.com something. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? Oh, you need Indeed. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love well, you know, this all sounds great, FedEx days, go take time off, do whatever you want. Sounds great. But we're, we're, we're much more nuts and bolts here. We need to be in the office from 9 to 5. You need to do your job. And we don't have time for that.
1: Yeah, I think that most companies can actually do the, the FedEx day, the 24 hours. But you can also do things in a more modest version. I mean, you could say, you know, for this month, one afternoon a week, you can work on whatever you want. Um, and, and who among us has not, Wandered one afternoon at work. Um, and, you know, I think we, people could surprise you. The other thing about this is that, you know, the dark cloud of the recession might have a silver lining on motivation for a couple of reasons. Number one is that recessions are often inflection points for people where uh, their life has sort of gone a direction they didn't expect and they have to think about where it's going to go next. So what you see in recessions is coming out of it is uh, some amount of reinvention, some amount of entrepreneurship, uh, a lot of those, those kinds of activities are often very, very self-motivated. The other thing from a company's perspective is, in these kind of tough times, um, you're pretty much out of carrots. Um, you don't really have many bribes left. And that might force some companies, not all, might force some companies to think a little bit more creatively, a little bit more deeply about motivation.
0: So it sounds like you're saying there's really two kinds of motivations. There's the traditional carrot and stick, which is just reward or punishment motivation, which is kind of the old-school way of doing it. And then there's these other kinds of motivations that you're talking about that are more creative and interesting and, and motivating. But aren't those just carrots and sticks in different language? I mean, ultimately, aren't they also rewards or punishments in order to get people to do what you want them to do?
1: Not necessarily, because it comes from within. A carrot and a stick come from without. Uh, I mean, what you're doing is you're giving people freedom. I mean, I don't think that freedom is a carrot. Freedom is, a, is, I think, qualitatively different. It allows people to be self-motivated. They're not chasing after something that you're dangling in front of them. What you're doing is that you're, you're in some ways, giving up control. And there are a lot of managers out there who think that their job is to control people, and I think for for you know in the industrial age or even in the in information age when people are doing simple work, when they're turning the same screw the same way, or they're answering calls at a call center, or they are adding up columns of figures, that you know maybe control makes some sense. But when fewer people are doing that, uh, and they're inevitably forced into doing things that require more innovation and creativity, giving up control is actually a better strategy. The problem with that is that managers giving up control face a little bit of a crisis because if they're not controlling people, then what the heck are they doing there? You know, I think, I mean, I think that the question all of us should be asking ourselves in, 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 in any kind of job is, okay, what the heck are you doing here? And if you went away, would anybody care? And would it have any effect on the world? And if the answer is no, then my hunch is that, you're not going to be around that much longer, and what you're doing isn't all that satisfying. And if you move into something as difficult as it is that is a little bit more satisfying and actually answers the question that you know people would care if you, if you went away, then I think you're going to have greater satisfaction and greater job security.
0: So what about those people in those jobs where they turn the screw the same way every time or they flip burgers the same way every time? Um, are we to say that this doesn't apply to them?
1: No, but I actually think they do. I mean, I think the call center thing we talked about is a way to, you know, you can, I think that any kind of job uh, has room for autonomy. And we see this over again, over and over again. You saw it with the Zappos call center a, a, a example. You see it with an interesting uh, study that I write about of hospital janitors, Okay, not a job that most of us would covet. There were some hospital janitors who saw the job essentially in that, one way, where they said, okay, my job is to come in at a certain time, sweep the floors, and get out. Um, In other environments where managers, people leading these these hospitals, maybe encouraged... janitors to think of their jobs a little bit differently so you know if you're going in and cleaning a room feel free to talk to the patients see how they're doing um, you know um, talk to the nurses and say hey you know these janitors are you know pretty clued in about what's going on if you have a question or need something done you know don't hesitate to ask them well suddenly these janitors who were able to sculpt their jobs a little bit lo and behold they report higher job satisfaction there's less turnover uh... they're more likely to move up the ranks so even in a job that most of us wouldn't covet you know cleaning floors in a hospital there's room for tapping people's uh... uh, intrinsic motivation and again it's not this kind of nicey nice thing it's not you know kumbaya uh... uh, touchy-feely uh... management that says we're going to sacrifice the bottom line it's actually in its its own way, a remarkably hard-headed, sophisticated, savvy, and strategic approach to business.
0: Do you think, though, and maybe one of the reasons managers are reluctant to embrace this, is, okay, if you have people working and you tell them, all right, you can now have, uh, as a motivation, you're now, we're going to give you 10% of your time to do whatever it is you want to do, because that's going to motivate you to work better. But initially, it might not. That Initially, we would see a drop in productivity, a, a drop in results, however you measure them. And who wants a drop in results?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it could. I mean, one of the things, let's take 20% time. One of the things about you know, companies where like Google and some others where people can spend 20% of their time working on anything that they want, you know, chief financial officers go into cardiac arrest when that's proposed because um, you're saying, okay, let's take one-fifth of our wages and we redeploy them into something we don't know if it's going to work. Um, and so I think there might be cases where they do that. I mean, I think people, the, the workplace in, for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us is so controlling that if you release those controls, initially it can be somewhat disorienting. But I think over time uh, it can be far more far more powerful. I'll give you an interesting study out of Cornell that looked at uh, small businesses, and they categorized these small businesses based on whether they were uh, uh, top-down kind of carrot-and-stick management and bottom-up, more autonomous management. And it turned out that the bottom-up, more autonomous management companies uh, had four times, four times the growth rate of those um, other more command-and-control traditional companies.
0: When you do things like this, though, when you say, okay, you can take 20% of your time and do whatever you want, what should a company expect to get in return for that? I mean, is the, is the idea that if you tell everybody to take all this time and do whatever they want, one person will come back with something spectacular? Or should you expect great things from everybody because they now have this new freedom? I mean, what's the, what's the expectation?
1: You don't know. I mean, I think that people want to do great things. I don't think that everybody who has that kind of autonomy tomorrow will do a great thing. I think a heck of a lot more will do a great thing than people expect. But, you know, there is, a, there is an element of risk there. There's an element of uncertainty there. Um, but I think that the, the genuine uncertainty of something that could lead to an innovation is far better than the false certainty that these outdated regimes of carrots and sticks will work. Uh, I think that's you know, in some ways delusional.
0: Great. Well, thanks, Dan. You always bring new insights to the table on, on whatever topic you're talking about, and uh, I appreciate that. Daniel Pink has been my guest, and the book that is the basis for this conversation is Daniel's book called Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us. And there's a link to that book at Amazon in the show notes for this episode of the podcast. Are you one of those people who just buys things with whatever credit card you grab out of your wallet? Well, that that could be a costly move. NerdWallet, you've heard of NerdWallet. NerdWallet lets you compare credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. So, if, for example, you like travel rewards, you can see which credit card gives you better rewards than the credit cards you've got now. Think of what you could do with better rewards. A free flight, room upgrades, who knows? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and so much more at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. As a listener to Something You Should Know, I can only assume that you are someone who likes to learn about new and interesting things and bring more knowledge to work for you in your everyday life. I mean, that's kind of what Something You Should Know is all about. Although we live in this hyper-connected world, one-on-one conversation is still essential to building relationships, making friends, connecting with others, getting ahead in your career. And that art of conversation, the ability to just go up and talk to someone, isn't, as you probably know, isn't always easy. Here with some really good help and advice is Jill Spiegel, Jill started out in sales and she is also a speaker and she's been on all sorts of television and radio programs and she just as a side note is the great-granddaughter of Joseph Spiegel who started the Spiegel mail order catalog many many years ago her book is how to talk to anyone about anything hi Jill good to have you here you know many people struggle with one-on-one conversation especially with strangers it can be hard and and often the feeling is you know what's what's the point this relationships never gonna go anywhere and why
1: bother
2: well we but yes you're right mike and the great news is everybody has the ability to connect but whether you're shy or outgoing you're meant to embrace your personality and there's certain things any of us can do where we can walk in a room exude an energy of connection and have people feel excited about us but you're right people struggle with it because they get into fear and they don't think they're good enough or they don't have the right personality or they imagine the worst desired outcome but the good news is no matter what your personality is even if you struggled with it anybody can connect doing simple things
0: things like what
2: things like the mindset of instant connection before you go to a party enter a room talk to anyone do these three things First, think really positive thoughts about yourself. So if you're shy, you don't say, I'm outgoing, but you say to yourself, I'm gentle, I'm healing, I love to put people at ease. Embrace your shyness and you'll radiate an aura of connection. The next thing you do is imagine connecting with everyone and make that your mission. When you already have that in your mind and you see it happening, you radiate passion and purpose when you meet people and they feel excited about you. And the third thing, Mike, is to tune into the people around you. Life always puts people in our path that we're meant to meet. So when you walk in a room or have a conversation and you're sending compliments with your mind to people, they feel warmth from you and they want to talk to you. And if you just start out with those three steps, you're going to become an amazing people person.
0: But of course people say in those situations, you know, I don't know what to say and I'm not good at small talk.
2: That's okay. First of all, there's no such thing as small talk. No talk is small. Even when you start conversations with, what a beautiful day, or a compliment like, I love your tie, you give people a psychological and emotional lift that makes them want to talk to you. And nobody is looking for somebody who's witty or clever or genius when they first meet you. They just want to sense that you have warmth, genuineness, and empathy. And also, I encourage everyone to start keeping a journal and write down interesting things you've learned or heard or read that you can share, so whenever you're going into social situation you feel like you have a little plan in your pocket
0: in other words be prepared
2: yeah exactly and you know I can tell you Mike how to talk intelligently on any single subject in two words are you ready are you holding on to your seat I am I'm going to show you in two words, and that means if you walk into a group, you see a group of people, to join them, all you do is say, hey, hey, mind if I join or got room for one more? Because people want to welcome you in. Now you're in the group, and they say, we're all talking about the book we just read, War and Peace. We loved it. Ever read it? Now what happens is when people bring up a topic we know nothing about, Mike, we make the mistake of falling into the pit of shame, and then we go, no, I never read it, and then we disconnect. But I'm going to show you those two magic words when someone brings up a subject you know nothing about. All you have to do is be curious. So you say, war and peace, my gosh, that is so amazing that you read that. You know, I never have, but I've always wanted to know about the theme of that book. What inspired you to read it? What did you love about it? And when you're passionately curious with other people, Mike, they feel so good around you. They feel smart. They think you're brilliant, and you immediately enhance your connection. Do you love it? I love it. <laughs> oh, good. Because the great thing about life is we're all here to learn from each other. So when you're interested in what other people know, they see how brilliant you are, and they want to be around you more because you make them feel special and important.
0: But in in order to do that, you you have to get over that feeling of that so many people have, of you walk into a room full of strangers, and it's, yeah, I don't know anybody here. I don't know what to say. I mean, I, you, you have to you have to come up with that confidence to dive in.
2: Okay, well, you're going to do the three steps that I told you because that will instill confidence in with you. But remember, if you're still nervous, there's so many ways to capitalize on that nervousness to endear people to you. So one strategy that you use, Mike, is if you are shy and you walk through and you feel nervous, remember that all you have to do is connect with one person. If you think you have to master the whole room and work the whole room, that is way too overwhelming. So think, all I have to do is make one person feel special. That's all I have to do. And you're going to look in that room and you're going to see somebody else that feels like you, who's hiding in the corner, who's nervous, and who is just aching for somebody to come up to them. You're going to go up to that person and you're going to make them feel so comfortable by talking to them like you've known them forever and you can even admit that you're nervous which will make them feel so connected to you and you can say hi I'm Jill and listen I've never been to one of these before I'm a little nervous to be here but when I saw you standing there you exuded so much kindness I could knew I could just come up to you and say hello now have you been to these before and people think oh I'm so relieved to meet a genuine down-to-earth person who's admitting this is a little nerve-wracking too then you'll immediately connect with that person and once you've been talking to them for a few minutes all your nervousness will dissolve because you see that you're in the moment of connection, and that's going to give you more confidence to continue to work the room person to person.
0: So let's talk about a different situation, and that is in maybe more of a work situation or a business situation where you've got to make the sale, or you're talking to somebody that you, you don't really necessarily want to talk to, but there's, there's a business result you're looking for.
2: You know, if you think, well, I need the sale to get business or now I'm in a business atmosphere so I have to act more businessy, that's going to throw you off. You will make the sale if you know that you've got a great product and you're thinking, I am so excited that this person's going to benefit from what I have to show them today because they're going to feel that sincerity from you. And then even though it is business, you can still, when you sit down with them, if you see like a picture behind them, let's say you're calling in a, in a, in a company and they've got a picture behind them, you say, oh, is that a golden retriever? Oh my gosh, that's my favorite dog dog, and you get to the human level a little bit, and then they feel like they're really talking to a real person, and then once you begin your presentation or whatever it is, remember if you're coming from your heart and you really believe in what you're showing and you're really out to make the person feel um, you know, great that they have the product, you're going to have an instant connection. It's We psych ourselves out and we say, now I'm in business, I have to act differently, or now I'm talking to a friend and I have to act differently. Be your authentic self all the time. Take a true interest in people, and if you're always coming from respect, you're going to connect and immediately. Also in business, don't be afraid to say the words, I don't know. If somebody asks you a question about your product, you you come across so well and you say, you know, I don't know the answer to that. That is such an astute question. I am going to find out and get back to you. That is so impressive that instead of going, oh, well, I think so, or yeah, sure. I mean, people want to be with someone who's real. Even when you forget someone's name, they're going to think more of you if you say, you know, I'm never going to forget that great smile, but you've got to tell me your name one more time. It flew right above my head. They'll say, oh, gosh, this is a person who's really real. And as long as you compliment them before you ask for their name again, they're going to continue to feel that connection with you. So again, think about what your mission is in life. It's not about now I'm in business, I have to make a sale, or now I'm, um, you know, meeting this person for coffee, I have to be friendly. Think about that your mission, your living connection with people, you're here to find out what you can learn from everyone and what you can offer them, and think about why life put these people in your path, and then you don't feel like you have to strategize all the time of adjusting your personality, you know that you're a student of life, that every conversation there's a magical treasure hunt in it, and you're really open to the world and what it puts in your path. And this makes you feel more open and alert, living by that intention and that mission.
0: What about difficult conversations where it's somebody maybe you don't really want to talk to or, or a conversation that you'd really rather avoid or, or there's a lot on the line and it's going to be difficult to get what you want?
2: Everyone comes to our life for a reason, so difficult conversations can be the greatest moments to learn and grow. I have ten ways to save difficult conversations. One, for example, Mike, would be when you talk to people who brag. You know, you were just talking about business a minute ago, and sometimes in the business atmosphere, we're conditioned to think we have to compete and one-up each other. So I was in a networking party once, and I said to a guy, now, what do you do? And Mike had a very bragging tone, and he goes, let's just say I make a lot of money for a lot of people. And I thought, am I supposed to say that I make tons of money, which isn't really my purpose in life? So I realized when he was bragging, he's sending me a hidden mind message that he really wants approval and he really wants to feel important. So instead of competing back with people that brag, you make them feel good. You compliment them. Give them what they really want to feel important. So I said to him, you do make a lot, a lot of money for a lot of people. That must be so rewarding to help so many people. I can tell you, you really care about what you're doing. And Mike, he lit up, and he went, Huh? Oh! And then he melted before my eyes, and he became such a human being. And once I showed him that I was impressed with him, he wanted to get me to know me more on a human level. So when people brag, compliment them, make them feel special, and their fear will dissolve, because that's all it is. It's fear. Isn't that spectacular? It's that simple.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, it's spectacular. But, But what about people who are grumpy and just don't like to talk?
2: Well, first of all, you, you need to decide how much of an emotional investment you want to put into them. So let's say you're sitting next to a coworker, Betty, and you have to work on a report with her for an hour, okay? And you say, hey, Betty, happy Monday. And she goes, what? No, it's awful. You know? And then you say, now if you think, oh, Betty is so negative and Betty is so judgmental, then you're both in tension and you can't connect. So realize that Betty needs some kindness. When people are rude or critical, that's coming from an inner pain. And you just say, oh, Betty, you know, I can tell that something's wrong. And if you want to talk about it before we get to the report, I'm all ears. And she will feel so good about you. When you say to a coworker, I can tell there's pain or frustration there. Did you want to talk about it? They see that you're a functional person who isn't just about numbers and you really take an interest in them. They want to work harder for you. But let's say, Mike, that you don't have an hour to work on a report with Betty, that you want to get to work. And if you say, Betty, how are you? And she goes, fine. You know, if you say, oh, I can tell you're upset, you want to talk about it, you might end up getting in a two-hour conversation with Betty. So many people that read my book say, yeah, I want to show that I'm kind, but I don't have the time to invest in hearing their issue. So then if that's the case, Mike, you say, oh, Betty, you know, you say you're fine, yet I can tell there's pain and frustration. I know how that can feel, and I want you to know I'm wishing you a fantastic day, and I know it's going to get better. Bye now. So send them some positive energy, imagine positive things happening to them, say it with your words and then move on. But just by being that way with them, they're going to feel an emotional lift and when they see you again, they're going to be at ease and they're going to trust you because you're not dysfunctional, you're functional. You point out when emotions may be difficult and you're soothing about it. And it works wonders.
0: Uh, talk for a moment about because I can imagine people listening to this saying, Well, you know, this is great for Miss Spiegel here because she's peppy and, you know, that's her high energy style, but that's not me. I, I can't do that. I can't be her or be like her. That's her. So, what about somebody who's a little more low key, a little like me? <laughs> I'm not that peppy uh, in a conversation. I can be animated but not, I'm, I'm not, I don't have the zip that, <laughs> that you have. So what about people like me?
2: Well, Mike, that is such a fantastic question. I am on warp speed. When people come to my seminars, one the first thing I have to tell them is, is this is not about how to be hyper like me. This is about how to take all these fundamentals and channel it through who you are. So you're going to take this, and you're going to do it in your own style. Like one section I have in my book is when people say, what do you do? to answer that with passion and purpose so you open up your world to connection. So it would be one thing to say, people might say to me, hey, what do you do? And I can go, I'm an author, and that doesn't say a lot. But if they say, what do you do? And I say, I love to teach people how to connect. We all have the ability to connect with everyone, and I teach that through my books and seminars. And when I'm not doing that, I love nature, and I walk the lakes every morning. Suddenly I'm a full purpose who full person who's successful because I have a full life, and you get to know the heart of me. Now, one guy in my class, when I said that, he said, Jill, I, I don't think that way. I'm not about passion and purpose, and I'm very simple. And I said, well, if someone said to you, what do you do? What's your favorite thing to do? And he said, I like quiet nights, sitting on my porch, petting my cat. Now, that was his style, and what he's role modeling to people is contentment and the enjoy, enjoying the simple life. And when he owns his style with people, they all say, Oh, that sounds so wonderful. I love peaceful nights. Or here's a great guy that's not here to conquer the world. He just enjoys the simple things, and I can do that too. So you're going to filter this through who you are and you're going to realize that every time you open your mouth, you have the ability to inspire someone and change the world and that's where you're going to get energy. You're going to wake up the morning feeling so good because you've spread so much purpose and you've been so healing to people. And it's amazing, by doing these techniques too, Mike, people have become so popular that I had to add a section in the book about how to handle your popularity, because when you live these principles, people want to work with you, they want to go out with you, they want to be your friend, so it's so important to learn how to say no to people gently. If you can't get into that kind of connection with them, you can connect in the moment, but if it can't be long-term, there's even a way to say no gently to keep them still feeling fantastic about themselves and about who you are.
0: Well, how do you do that? I mean, that's a real art to be able to say no and do it well.
2: Well, anytime you have to say no, you always say the no in, in between two compliments because you want to leave people on a high note and you want to introduce your saying no through a connection. So let's say, Mike. Um, Somebody was on your show, and they're like, Mike, you're so fantastic. We've got to be best friends. Let's go out this weekend. They're that excited about you, and they feel like you're on the same wavelength because you're so friendly. So here's what you say. The first thing you do is validate and compliment them. And you say, oh, I know what you mean. We really click, and you're such a fascinating person too. I feel the connection. So now they feel validated, and they still feel appreciated by you. Then you go into why you can't fulfill the connection, and you don't do it with the words, but... Because once you say but, and people think you don't mean what you just said, and it comes out so harsh. So after you say yes, I can feel the connection too. At the same time, my plate is so full, I just can't put one other thing on my calendar and see your no has nothing to do with them. It's more about your life. And then you go back into a compliment. You say, but hey, give me your email address because if that changes, I will let you know, and I'm so thrilled we got to connect today. So it's compliment, feedback, compliment, with the bridge of the words at the same time coming sincerely from your heart, and you're always going to leave people on a high note because even if you can't continue a friendship or business relationship, they're going to leave feeling appreciated by you and elevated by you. And watch how their face lights up when they see you again because you made them feel so important.
0: Well, it's a great message, Jill, that I I think everybody can take something from this.
2: I know it's so I get more excited when I talk about it because it's just so inspiring to let people know that they're meant to live their dreams, and your soulmate could be sitting next to you on a bus, your dream business partner could be next to you at a cocktail party, Um, the person who has a life-changing lesson to tell you could be next to you. Um, you know sitting waiting at an airport so when you reach out and start positive conversations you see how life puts people in your path that you're meant to meet to live your goals and really listen to your intuition see who you're drawn to who you're interested in because there's a nugget of magic in there once I was at a party mic and I didn't know anyone and I saw this really cute girl sitting on a couch and I just felt interested about her I wanted to know more about her so I walked up to her and I said hi I don't know anyone here but you look so friendly my name is Jill and she goes oh hi my name is Beth and we talk for 10 minutes and after 10 minutes she goes you it's amazing you look like my brother you talk like my brother you've the same interests as him long story short Mike I married her brother
0: but don't you ever just you know whether it's the day or the person you're talking to where you just uh, you know I just don't have I don't have the energy for this
2: some days you just might not be in the mood to have a full-on conversation If that's the case, make sure if they spot you and you see them, you give them a really warm smile, and you're warm by sending them compliments with your mind. Like you might think, oh, that person's smile is so contagious. You smile back. Then imagine them having a fantastic day because they're going to feel positive energy when you think it about them, and then you can move on. But you never know, even that one moment of exchanging positive energy could be just what you need and they needed to have a great day. So you never want to be phony about it, but what you're going to find is the more you reach out and talk to anyone about anything, the more you get so excited and alert about life that you get more interested in people and more people are drawn to you.
0: Thanks, Jill. I, I think there's advice in what you've said for everyone, whether you're just trying to get through a conversation and make it pleasant, or you really want to make a connection with someone, or, or you just want to explore and see if there's a, a connection worth making. Jill Spiegel has been my guest. Her book is How to Talk to Anyone About Anything. There's a link to her book in the show notes for this episode. Her website is jillspiegel.com. You've probably already heard that having friends is important in a lot of ways for both kids and adults. But here are some interesting facts about friendship you may not know. Friends make hills seem less steep. And not just in the metaphorical sense. In a fascinating study published in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology, participants estimated a hill to be less steep when they had a friend along with them compared to when they walked the same hill by themselves. What's more, the longer the friends knew each other, the less steep the hill seemed. Friends help you live longer. Brigham Young University analyzed data from nearly 150 different studies on social relationships and mortality, and they uncovered a startling statistic. A weak social circle can take toll on your longevity, comparable to smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Friends make you more attractive. When researchers asked 139 college students to rank the general attractiveness of people in a group photo, then rank the attractiveness of those same people in individual photos, the individual photos were ranked 5.5% less attractive. Friends share DNA. A study suggests that close friends share about 1% of their DNA, making them as close genetically as fourth cousins. Researchers from Yale University and UC San Diego analyzed data from nearly 2,000 people and found that the chemistry that draws friends together may actually stem from shared DNA. And that is Something You Should Know. New episodes of Something You Should Know come out three times a week on Monday mornings, Thursday mornings, and Saturday mornings. And to make sure you don't miss a single one of them, all you have to do is subscribe to this podcast. It's free, it's easy, just hit the subscribe button. I'm Mike Carruthers. Thanks for listening today to Something You Should Know